With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Uh, Keaton is joining us back-to-back weeks this week because uh, our other guy, Patrick Magnus, is off in Macau uh, getting drunk and uh, having fist fights with Komodo dragons. So it's uh, it's Keaton. What's up, Keats? Not much, man. And I hear Komodo dragons are like sharks, so you like, pop them once real good in the nose and it stuns them. Ah, I didn't know that about them. I did know that their tails were so powerful that they could break the leg of a deer with just one swipe of their tail. So uh, you you don't only need to be afraid of their their mouth; it's their tail that can get you. Well, man, let's let's hope Patrick survives. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he doesn't, we have Keaton, so um, we'll be okay either way. Um, on today's May fifth Cinco de Mayo edition of the show, we are going to be discussing. Uh, where the Red Sox stand with injuries, uh, how the team's offense and starting pitching have turned a corner, uh, the emergence of Marcus Walden, and uh, expectations for the team moving forward. But the first thing I want to start off with today uh, is the amazing Michael Chavis. Uh, he just does not slow down um, at all. Uh, Chavis right now, um, in the time that he's been here with the team, big club, Six home runs, uh, 210 weighted runs created plus, and a 340-459-740 line. Uh, Keats, he's just been remarkable. This is so much better than I expected. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I'm surprised that while it is still a small sample size, I'm still surprised that he's getting stronger the more he plays. And I think what's been the most impressive is he's striking out at about the same clip that we kind of expected him to. But he is generating way more walks, and he is having major league at-bats almost every time. It's very rare that he's looked overwhelmed at the plate. I can think of only one at-bat where he got struck out on three pitches, and every other at-bat has been like textbook definition of a major league at-bat, and that's been very impressive. Yeah, it's been incredible uh, what he's been able to do. Um, Like you said, professional at-bats all around. He's averaging 4.07 pitches per plate appearance, which puts him in the same area as Nelson Cruz uh, in just a hair behind Mitch Moreland. So we're talking about seasoned sluggers here, and he's routinely having these at-bats where he goes up there and, you know, he's working the pitcher for between 8 and 10 pitches. Um, so it's it's been super impressive, and by StatCast, um, he's been crazy impressive with the amount of barrels that he has. He's fifth in all of baseball uh, in barrels right now. And we're getting to the point with his StatCast that um, they say that it takes around a month or 40 batted ball events 
before StatCast starts giving you like statistically reliable data, was at 34 batted balls already. So he's getting pretty darn close there. So we, we're getting to a point where there's probably not a lot of noise in his numbers left at this point, and we're seeing elite batted ball profile across the board, which is – we I mean, we knew he was a hitter, and he was putting the power on display at AAA – but the the fact that it's carried over so seamlessly has just been incredibly impressive. Yeah, it really has. Um, and one of the things that we talked about um, on the Locked On podcast with Ian Kundal was that he was a little worried that his approach was still a little bit raw and that he might not be able to do this uh, at the plate. So being able to see him ease into uh, playing Major League Baseball so quickly and at such a high level has just been super impressive. Um, the one thing that we have seen from him uh, that you know clearly he still needs some work on is the intricacies of being a second baseman. He just doesn't have very many reps over there. So when he does play second baseman, um, the thing that we've seen a couple times from him is that he's uh, sailed um, some throws to first base uh, when starting double plays. He's, he doesn't quite know what to do with his feet uh, when guys are sliding into second. So um, that's been something that's happened at least twice. Um, but I think that that's the type of thing that as he continues to work with the major league staff, he's just going to get more and more comfortable with that. Yep, totally agree. All right, so let's move on to uh, another guy. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I want to actually look at some of the, the listener questions that we have right now um, because we did get a ton of listener questions about Michael Chavis today, obviously. He's sort of the story of the team. Um, but we did get one from Jackson who has wheels with traction that says, would you trade Chavis for an actual ice horse? No, I wouldn't trade him for anything. He's the, the sun to my moon. Yeah, he's pretty fun to watch play baseball. How did, how did you even get that nickname, Ice Horse? I don't know, but I'm glad that he has that nickname. Yeah. It's- Is it just because he's the Night King's horse? I don't know. I literally don't know anything about why he's called the Ice Horse, but um, I did see Carabas and his crew uh, at the game yesterday with a uh, uh, unicorn head on, and uh, they were having a lot of fun. So as long as they're having fun with the nickname, I mean, sure. Um, but, yeah, I'd rather have Javis than an Ice Horse. I don't even know what the hell an Ice Horse is. So we're going with Javis. Uh, we did get another question from Gary Hingham that says, when Petey comes back, who's out? Uh, I really hope Chavis stays. The team is taken off with his energy. Uh, Vasquez looks like a different hitter. Does he have a new plan? So we'll address Vasquez later because we are going to talk a whole lot about Vasquez. Um, but when Petey comes back, um, I think Chavis still stays. Who do you think is going to be the one that goes down? Yeah, Chavis has to stay. Um that's a good question. They have some serious decisions to make. I'm not exactly sure I think how they're going to do it. One easy uh, solution while you kind of think about it um, is to – well, first of all, they have Josh Smith who they can uh, just option. But the second roster spot that they have um, is Tyler Thornburg um, who is just doing – beyond nothing uh, up with the club at this point. He's got like clearly almost a nine uh, ERA at this point, and he is just not a good pitcher any longer. So I think Tyler Thornburg's a guy you could pretty easily DFA and not worry about it. Yeah, I think that's the way it's going to go. 
Because right now the team still has a three-man bench. They've got Sandy Leon, Steve Pierce, and Eduardo Nunez because with Lynn's injury, uh, Eduardo Nunez was activated right away. So the bench is still short. They've been carrying an extra pitcher. At some point, they've got to go down anyway. So I assume that that's going to be the first move when Pedroia comes back is to just simply option Josh Smith. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's that's probably the way they're going to go. But that also kind of leads into the waterfall effect of um, who's playing when PD comes back and where. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think you're going to see Chavis bouncing a lot and spelling guys all around the infield. I think you're going to see Chavis at third for Devers. I think you're going to see him at second for PD, probably the most. Uh, and I also think that you're going to see him at first because uh, if you've been watching Steve Pierce, uh, it's pretty clear Steve Pierce hasn't been Steve Pierce this year. Um, so that's a guy I think that could potentially end up with a phantom IL stint or um, just simply lose playing time to Javis. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, platoon him with Moreland and then when they're facing someone from Moreland, move him around the infield to give guys a break. Yeah, and the only issue with uh, platooning him with Moreland is that, you know, uh, they have sort of him- similar tendencies, but I think the way Chavis is hitting right now, you you do whatever it takes to get him into that yeah, lineup, right? Yeah, you can't take that bat out. It has to be there. Yeah, I agree. So Dustin Pedroia right now, though, just to give you an update on where he stands injury-wise, uh, Dustin is currently rehabbing at AA Portland. He played a few games up there. Uh, I think the most that he's actually played at this point is seven innings, um, and he is not playing in the first game today up in Portland. So uh, I believe they have a doubleheader, so he might be playing in the second game up there. I think the big question, though, comes when, when Brock Holt uh, gets back to the team. Like, um, that's when they're going to have to make a choice about who they are actually going to keep and when and um that might be be when we see Tyler Thornburg get DFA'd. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And I, yeah, I said I said it last week, but nothing has changed my mind. I, I firmly on the get rid of Thornburg train now. I've seen enough. We've gotten all the juice we're going to squeeze out of that one. Just just let it go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we did get another uh, question from Mike Marr, and he, sa- he says, what does the playing time positional usage look like when Chavis, uh, for Chavis once Pedroia, Holt, and Nunez are back? Um, do you agree that it's going to be second base most of the time? I do, yeah. Um, I think I like what you had kind of mapped out the last time we talked where um, both uh, Pierce and Moreland are done after this year. So it makes the most sense for him to move over to first, uh, and his bat will clearly play at the position. Yeah. So I think much longer term, it's probably first base for him. But uh, as it goes this year, I mean, we we can't get. When was the last time we had Pedroia play three days in a row? Like 2017. Oh, it's been forever. And I don't think anybody really wants to see Nunez play at second base either. No. <clears throat> no I'm good with that. Not, not like Javis is, you know, amazing over there or anything, but he's certainly better than than Nuni uh, at this point, or at least with the bat. He makes up for it with the bat. Although we got to give Nunez some credit. Coming back, he did uh, 
have a couple hits and some important ones yesterday. So um, he's not completely a, a, a complete zero. Uh, JJ the Jet asked us the same question. So um, we have a lot of people wondering how this whole situation is going to shake out. Um, I, you know, I think injuries are probably going to end up being the answer to all this stuff. Um, I, you know, they usually do, like the the Lynn thing, and you never want to wish injuries on anybody. But I don't see them going with a five-man bench at any point. I think that um, when Holt is ready to come up, they'll probably just have to make a tough choice about somebody, whether that's DFAing somebody or trading somebody. I don't, I don't see them being able to do that because uh, the bullpen just isn't good enough to to do that. I agree. I would love to see them trade like a bench player and a minor leaguer for a reliever, but you know, we can hope. Yeah, that'd be the best case scenario for sure. Or um, sign Craig Kimbrell, you know, be the one. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be pretty good. I, yeah, I got to think that he was laughing his ass off when uh, they gave up that game with Ryan Brazier in there closing the other day. First oh, yeah. game of the Chicago series. Yep. Um, so we did get a bunch of questions uh, from Matt Kitson uh, asking what's behind Vasquez's power surge. Uh, we got another one uh, that we already read from Gary. Um, so a bunch of people asking about what the heck, heck is going on with uh, Christian Vasquez because he's got five home runs and 98 WRC plus on the season. Uh, that's numbers before today's game has ended. Um, so what has he been doing differently? Uh, in short, he's been walking more. Uh, he's been hitting it in the air ever so slightly more. Um, but the big thing is that he's been swinging at way less pitches outside of the zone. So, Keaton, uh, you want to tell us kind of what is happening there in terms of the numbers? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is the putting the ball in the air. Uh, and that's something that um, it seems rather obvious that he's been working on over the years, and it's coming together now. And <clears throat> maybe he's getting a little bit of help from the ball. His exit velocity is about two miles an hour faster or harder than uh, three miles an hour harder than his career average, uh, two miles an hour harder than last season. Uh, but we all know now at this point, after the introduction of StatCast, you put the ball in the air, good things happen. Uh, and his launch angle over the last three years has gone from 8% to 12.5% to 14%. So he's making use of um, where the, the game is going and putting the ball in the air and, and watching good things happen. And it's led to um, he's barreling at a league average rate for the first time in his career. He has above average hard hit rate. So I think those are the things that jump out to me as well as kind of what you said. He's walking more and not swinging at pitches out of the zone. When you're being selective and making good contact, then very good things tend to happen. And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and it's not just a little bit. I mean, how much did he cut that rate swinging outside of the zone? About 10%. Jeez. I mean, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a huge jump right now for him. I mean, being able to do that in just, what, one season's time is, is crazy. Yeah, his previous rate uh, was 34.7% last year, and he's all the way down to 23.8%. So when you're, when you're not doing that um, – good things are going to happen and uh, we're seeing those and you know no one expected Christian Vasquez to have a 470 slug at this point in the season that's bananas yeah it really is 
And it's not even just compared to last year either because in 2016 and 2017, his chasing percentage was 32%. So, I mean, his career mark is just shy of 32%, and this season has just been a massive improvement. Yeah, really has. Um, and so with his emergence here, it makes it more palatable to have a guy like Leon uh, on the roster too, catching a couple times a week because you're actually finally getting something out of the catcher position at least a few games a week or the majority of the games a week, I should say. Yeah, which I think is something that we had all kind of reserved ourselves to, uh, not really getting anything at the plate from that position um, when they have exceeded expectations, which is a nice surprise. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the one spot that you can really point to on the uh, on this whole uh, roster that is still just underperforming massively, and it's really the only spot because when, when you look at it, uh, the Red Sox have been just so much better uh, over the past couple weeks. So I'm going to give you some numbers here uh, in just a second. But the guy I want to talk about is Jackie Bradley Jr. What have you seen from Jackie uh, at this point? Well, it's it seems like it's kind of a lot, but he's just not making the kind of contact that we're used to seeing from him. Uh, he still only has one barreled ball for the entire season, which puts him in the bottom 8% of the league. And when you're not – I mean, most of his success was driven on just squaring the ball up. And I think we talked about it on one of the previous pods that – uh, the whole narrative last year that, you know, he was running into bad luck and he was hitting the ball on the screws, you kind of thought was poppycock because, it's, you know, it's either you're getting hits or you're not. But the stat cast numbers seem to back that up, that he was, uh, you know, he's consistently barreling above league average, but, you know, not getting league average results out of it. So there seemed to be some kind of, uh, at least underlying numbers backing that narrative up. But this year, not at all. He just can't make contact. And the contact that he does make is trash. He's just, he's just an absolute mess at the plate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's making far less contact uh, with pitches outside of the zone than ever, um, which is leading to a career low in contact rate. Um, and that's never a good thing for a guy like him. Um, just to give you an idea where the offense stands at this point, over the last two weeks we've seen Ben Benintendi, uh, Betts, Chavis, Bogarts, Devers, uh, JD, Christian Vasquez, all those guy per, guys performing at a high level. Uh, Moreland hasn't been doing great uh, over that period of time, but he still has at least three home runs. Um, Jackie over that stretch of time has given you basically nothing. He's got a 41 WRC plus over the last two weeks uh, with no home runs and three RBIs. So um, he hasn't turned it around basically the entire season. But the nice thing about this is that, you know, the Red Sox rotation has clearly turned around. And if Jackie is your only weak link offensively uh, with you getting this increased performance from Christian Vasquez, that's something that this offense can handle without too much of an issue. They can, absolutely. And I think, like, that – his struggles were probably extrapolated a bit because of how poorly the team started and it was just glaringly obvious that we needed more from him but that's not something that was new like we knew we've known year over year we've needed more from Jackie Bradley but he's not coming out of the lineup because you need his defense so if the rest of the lineup is performing the pitching staff is kind of righted the ship 
to where we're winning games and we can kind of hide his struggles at the plate. Just get the good defense out of him and worry about the rest later. But it it was definitely magnified with the slow start. Yeah, and it made it, it look probably – I mean, his numbers are very bad, not to understate that, but it probably made it look worse because it was just the the sore red thumb on the just terrible, terrible start. Yeah, and when you dig a little deeper into the numbers, uh, his contact percentage uh, dropped from 71.5% last year down to 67.3% this year, uh, which is far and away the lowest contact rate of his career. And his O-swing jumped from 27.3% to 31.4%. So that's really the difference there, right, is that he's, he's swinging more at pitches outside of the zone, missing on those, and then his Z-swing, which is swings in the zone, dropped from 67.8% to 64.9%. So he's actually making less contact with pitches in the zone, too. It's just the perfect recipe for being a bad baseball player right now. And we're seeing that in his exit velocity, too. You mentioned his stat cast numbers. Down two miles an hour uh, in his launch angle and barrel rate are just in the tank career worst as well. So there's not a whole lot to love <laughs> outside of... Uh, that's happening to Jackie Bradley at this point. And one of the big things that stood out to me was when I was looking at his StatCast stuff, pitchers are basically attacking Jackie the same way that they were in 2018. Um, last year, they threw 60% fastballs to him, 25.3% uh, breaking pitches with 14.8% off speed. This year, 58.8% fastballs, so almost the same. 25.9% breaking, almost the same. And 15.3%, nearly identical. Um, but this year he cannot hit the fastball whatsoever. His batting average against the fastball is 204, and he's slugging 241 versus last year he was hitting 289 off of fastballs with a slug of 490. So he can't hit a fastball this year. And pitchers haven't even caught up to the fact that that's what's happening to him. They're just, they're not even increasing the fastball rate at this point because he hasn't done anything with any of the other pitches either. He just he lost his biggest strength essentially. Yeah, and do you know if uh I never saw specifically what the change was that he had made to his swing or his approach in the off season? Has he given up on that or is he still trying to make that work? That's unclear to me. Uh I have not seen anything uh saying one way or the other whether or not he's given up on the changes because he did work with G.D. Martinez is hitting coach in the offseason to try and uh, improve his swing, and it's something he started doing last year. Um, but I have no clue whether or not he's given up on that. So, But I'm sure that that story is coming. He's a pretty private guy. When you, when you hear him uh, talk about his struggles, though, he downplays everything. You know, he's just like, yeah, I'm swinging, I'm doing the right things, I'm getting the work in. Uh, he never really admits that he's going bad, even when he's going terribly. Um, so it seems like he's just going to continue to go through this privately uh, and not really talk about it as long as people will let him. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think that opens up a, a pretty fair question, though. Do you think that he's going to start getting less playing time? Because Matt Collins wrote an article about this over at Over the Monster, uh, arguing for him getting less playing time. So them actually, uh, you know, using some of their bench players and playing JD Martinez in the field a little bit more. Um, would you do that more considering his bat is a complete zero at this point? 
it's definitely worth thinking about. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm thrilled about JD Martinez playing the outfield, given that he's just, he's had back issues to start the season already. But I think the probably, I mean, the best lineup is with Mookie in center, JD in right, um, Devers DHing, Chavis at third, whoever at second. But I don't, I don't know if the the difference that you would get in the lineup from his bat to what are we talking? Nunez, Holt. Yeah. Yeah, so basically what you'd do in a situation like this is you'd play JD and right, Mookie moves to center, you'd put Chavis at the DH spot, and you'd play Nunez uh, at the third base spot. So the offensive gap between Nunez... Or second base, I should say. <clears throat> yeah, the defensive gap, or sorry, offensive gap between JPJ and Nunez is not nearly as significant as the defensive gap. So you would definitely be hurting your defense um, for just a slight upgrade with the bat. I think you have to keep rolling him out there. Yeah, I think it only really works if you have a healthy Pedroia um, coming back who looks good at the plate and looks good uh, in the field. Um, in that case, if you're playing Devers at third, Xander at short, Pedroia at second, um, then I think you could argue that that's the better lineup, putting Chavis at DH and Martinez in the field. But I agree with you. I don't really want to see Nooney at second base, um, and I don't think it's worth the uh, injury risk to J.D. Martinez. Agreed. Okay. So let's get to uh, a few more of our listener questions. Um, we did get... Another one from Adam uh, Tessoni, and he says, uh, "What do the Red Sox? Why do the Red Sox catchers initiate the throw around after a strikeout uh, with first base? Uh, always thought it starts with third base. Isn't it just uh, whatever handedness the batter is? So if there's a right-handed batter at the plate, they throw it to first because he's not in the way. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I." Got to be honest, I never even really thought about it or noticed it. Yeah, I definitely have seen it go both ways. I always thought it was just, uh, you know, with Vasquez, he's a right-handed catcher. If there's a guy standing in the right side of a batter's box, then he's got to throw through him to get to third. So I think he just fires at the first and then go around the horn. And if there's a lefty, then he throws it off to third. All right. There it is. Our next question comes from... uh, Big L, rest in peace. And he says, has Erod finally turned the corner or do you need more proof? Uh, I believe that Eduardo Rodriguez has definitely turned the corner. You look at his underlying <coughs> stats right now, I mean, they are they are very good. His strikeout to walk rate, 16.6% right now. That's very good. Um He's still got a 540 ERA, but when you dig a little deeper, his FIP is 354. Um, he's been much better at not giving up the home runs. And his last few starts, I mean, they've been excellent. He's got um, one earned run, his last start. Uh, four, the one before, that wasn't great. But then one, three, and two. Um, so the majority of his starts this year have been pretty damn good. Um, I like what I'm seeing. Do you? I do. Yeah, I was a Erod truther 
the beginning of the year, uh, he was the guy that I had pegged to have a major breakout because uh, he'd continue to get better and better season over season with his walks and strikeouts. And uh, that's pretty much falling in line now. I mean, the ERA is still a bit high, but again, he, I mean, everybody in the, the rotation had a really bad first two weeks, so it's going to take a bit of time to recover from that. But I, I'm totally on board. Yeah, I think he's turned a corner and he's, he's one of, uh, the reliable starters in the rotation once again. You got to like uh, 41 strikeouts in 36.2 innings pitch too. That's pretty oh, nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he's got everything going, he's an absolute joy to watch. No one likes it more than Eck. Eck, uh, Eck loves the <laughs> hell out of his repertoire. Yeah. Um, let's go with uh, Gordon Comstock for our last question of the day. He says you can extrapolate one player on the team's current. Uh, on the team's current stats out for the rest of the year. So basically, times five, they're counting stats, keeping the same average on base and slugging. Uh, who do you pick? So essentially, one player on the team's stats times five. So we, is this essentially saying like we could have five of one guy? No, times five, the, because we're 20% of the way through the season. I would say Chavis because he's on a pace to even have missing a month. Of, he's on like a 35 <laughs> homer pace. So give me that all damn day. And I mean, if he's going to have an OBP over uh, 450, then yeah. 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 I don't think we can argue against that, right? His stats are no. just completely gaudy uh, to this point. So yeah, if you could keep this up, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'd be talking about. Chavis, 50 home run MVP, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that wouldn't suck. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, good call, kids. Um, I think it's worth talking before we uh, end the show, though. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention that we didn't really uh, get a chance to touch on here was um, Chris Sale's last start. Uh, we've been following the Chris Sale drama all year long. Um, but Chris Sale's last start was vintage Chris Sale. Uh, he went out there. It was six innings pitched, uh, just three hits allowed, uh, one walk, and ten strikeouts. Um, is this the most on you've seen him all year? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Absolutely it is. That's the first time he's gotten double-digit strikeouts and uh, got deep into the game. Uh, absolutely. That's by far the best start. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree with you, um, and I was just encouraged because he seemed to be throwing that slider with confidence that I hadn't seen from him before this season. You know, that was one pitch that I just think wasn't really working for him. Yeah, and it seemed pretty clear that he didn't have quite the command on it that he wanted, uh, but it was sharp. It was easily I mean, you didn't even need to dig into the Brooks after just to kind of take a look at what was going on. You could just see it watching the game. It was much sharper than it had been in previous starts. Yeah. And so let's hope that just continues going forward. And there was a level of comfort with the pitch that you didn't see uh, from him uh, throughout the first few starts, even when he had good results, because um, you could you could see it reflected in the pitch counts. So he threw his uh, slider. Uh, 38 times that night, and he threw his four seam 37 times. And we had seen a much lower uh, rate of slider usage 
uh, in a few of the starts that he had had before that. So that was impressive. Uh, he ended up with eight called strikes on that pitch, which is great. That means that that thing looks like it's outside. Guys aren't even swinging at it, and they're just letting it drop right into the zone. Uh, he had seven called strikes on his changeup and seven on his four-seam fastball. So um, what that tells me is that his location was impeccable. And what we had seen a few of these times was we'd see good velo or we'd see like a nice slider, but we wouldn't see location, good velo, and a nice slider all on the same night. And I think we finally saw all those things put together. Uh, he maxed out at 96.5 on his pitch velo uh, for his four seam. Um, and the slider just, it looked right. So I was super encouraged, 104 pitches. He finally seemed chill, like when he went back to the clubhouse. And then just watching his body language the few days after in the clubhouse, he looked like a guy that was relieved. Yeah. I, I I agree with everything, and hopefully this gives him the confidence he's been looking for to go for. I mean, not that he really needs much more confidence, but uh, just a comfort on the mound that uh, the poor starts behind him, eyes forward, and now he's he's the ace that we've needed. Yeah, and uh, if you were one of the people who was lucky slash smart enough to go try and trade for him from a panicking owner, good work, buddy. Yeah, that's that's going to pay off. Yeah, that does not suck. Um, so we hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, please go on and rate and review us. Um, Keaton, you want to tell everybody about the uh, little sweepstakes that we have going on? I do. I uh, was just trying to pull that up. So we, are, we have ourselves a uh, license for out-of-the-park baseball to uh, – give out to one lucky fan. Uh, So we are asking for a uh, five-star rate in a review, and then we will randomly select uh, from there, and we are going to do it for the whole month, so you have until June 1st to get that in. However, we did realize we got two reviews. We did realize that we actually need you to take a screenshot of it and tweet us with your review (laughs) so that we can contact you after the fact. To realize that there is there is not a way for us to follow up with people uh, based off of their reviews. So to the the folks that had already submitted a review, if you could please hit us up on Twitter so we know that it's yours. So in case you win, we can actually contact you <laughs> and get you the license. And do we know who uh, gave us those reviews yet, Keats? Um, I can uh, pull it up and read uh, their names. Cool. Yeah, so if if you were one of those people who who did that, just reach out to us. Uh, you can hit us up on uh, the either of either my or Keaton's uh, Twitter handle. Uh, Keaton is at the Spoken Keats, and I am at Dev Jake. And we'll just go ahead and make sure that we get your information down and and put you in line for this great game. Um, Out of the park baseball is pretty much the most realistic baseball simulation that you can. Um, get you know it's not one of these MLB the show type games where you're actually playing as the player but you're like the GM here you're building your franchise uh, you're drafting guys you're doing everything from the ground up it's incredibly powerful the tools uh, that they have there it's a whole lot of fun and if you're nerds like us uh, it's something that you can spend uh, just chunks of time at and then you get your wife or your girlfriend to yell at you to get off of here or whatever um, but yeah it's a great game and uh, something that I've actually been playing for years 
uh, all the way back to my time with baseball uh, professor, uh, which is now rest in peace. Um, but yeah, we uh, that's how I got hooked. They actually gave us a few free licenses back then, and I've been playing that game for a bit. So yeah, awesome, good game. Yeah, we have uh, two reviews, one from McTotten and one from Bosox fan ten twenty two. So if you guys could hit us up on Twitter and let us know who you are, uh, that'd be great. Perfect. All right, guys. So go ahead and do that, and we will be with you <clears throat> next time. Uh, again, that goes to June 1st, so make sure you get those reviews in. Appreciate it. And uh, Keaton, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, man.